As a Papuan Australian woman, I acknowledge that I am a settler on this land that I live, work and create on. I acknowledge there are ongoing native title cases on this land today due to the impacts of colonisation and I want to pay my respects to the many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples of this country and to their elders past, present and emerging. Welcome back to the episode. Let's dive in now. Okay. So what, if any, are some of the barriers that you have had to cross as a women-run First Nations business? Um, I'll, I'll go first if you want. Um, I'll, I guess the main barrier that I have as um, a person in early childhood is, is a care industry which are generally female-filled um, roles. So obviously the, the pay is a huge barrier for not only getting quality educators but also retaining quality educators. So a lot of people decide to move on to uh, like teaching or something like that where they can get better work hours, better pay, better conditions, all that sort of thing. You know, it's hard to keep passionate people in um, early learning. Um, so I think the the pay is one major barrier that um, not only for Indigenous people, but for everybody. Like it would only just be kind of like an added thing if you're an Indigenous or First Nations person trying to get into that kind of industry. Um, you know, it's, the childcare centres are making a lot of money, but the educators aren't so you know parents are paying lots and lots of money to send their kids to places but it's not necessarily (laughs) trickling down as they say to um the educators so that would be one of the biggest barriers I think being able to attract and retain people in in early childhood yeah for us I guess one of the barriers is you know chocolate is a very corporatized and like um, driven by, you know, return on investment and shareholders' profits and profit margins and things like that. And um, as a, as a woman run First Nation business, you know, we have a very different communication style. I learned the other day on a meeting when I, I went into a meeting with, uh, you know, the sellers of IGA and their language was so different to mine. Like mine was gentle and flow and, you know, getting comfortable to tell a norm. And they were just like, what do you want? When do you want it? Where do you want it? And stuff. Um, uh, so, yeah, one of the, my barriers is, for my business, I, I want a very holistic approach, um, uh, similar to like Pacific ways of being, like relationships are really important to us. Um, and because we're ethics driven and value driven, um, our conversations are softer. And I grew up with a mom who was, you know, she was gentle and she showed so much strength in her, in her gentleness. <laughs> Um, yeah, she showed me there was strength in being gentle. Um, and I, I want, 
that kind of energy in my space and and that's that's a barrier when you're when you're you know working in a capitalist structure um also another barrier is oh man like i'm trying to sell a kilo for 25 bucks and people are getting it from uh you know uh western africa for like 50 cents and selling it for like four dollars so um there's a huge education gap as to you know well why is your why is your sukulaki why is your chocolate so expensive and it's because we you know we pay we pay people properly um you know in these spaces in western africa they they've had farms for 50 to 70 years you know that's a family business for that goes across several generations and if you think about it if you in melbourne if you had a business that was you know intergenerational You'd be living in Turak, <laughs> you know. You'd be doing really well. You'd have some hardcore kupe, but you know these spaces are still are known as the poorest places in the world, um, and that's what I definitely don't want for our Pacific region. Um, so uh, one of the barriers is, um, you know, educating people on that, um, and I don't know if that's necessarily um a barrier because i'm female um but it's a barrier within the chocolate and the bean to bar industry um also i think as a pacific islander um and also as a woman people see me that i would have a like a lack of business acumen you know a lack of business knowledge they don't know i'm a badass bitch <laughs> <No>. <laughs> They, you walk into spaces and um, and people, you know, they're like, oh, you've got your little chocolate business, you know. They, <laughs> oh, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Like, pat you on the head. That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> cute. Like that movie. <laughs> You're like, mm. <laughs> uh, I, I get that often. I also get it, uh, you know, um, I also I get that from from not just uh, Western space, but also from you know um, a Pacific Island lens. There are uh, many spaces in Samoa that are um, you know male led, and as a woman coming into those spaces, uh, sometimes it's uh, uh, I can be seen as not the right person to have the conversation with. You know, culturally too. So, um, but yeah, definitely in in Australia, some people will see me as you know, and because I, you know, I like to have a bit of a laugh, and I'm not taking things too seriously in my life as well. That um, people can, yeah, can label me in a different way, but then they realise, oh, okay, she actually knows what she's doing. <laughs> I'm a ninja. <laughs> We're business ninjas. <laughs> you can delete that one too. <laughs> all that old Leave that in. <laughs> Leave the boss bitch and the ninja part. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Communication would be one. So, you know, like communicating more. Um, I guess just feeling like this is the this is a lane that I've created for myself right you know so 
I always have these moments where I'm just like, I'll I'll write something out all about the work, all about the product, you know, the deeper meaningfuls. And then I just delete, you know, it's very similar to what you're saying as well. Like um, people can get it cheaper somewhere else. And, um, but I know there's a point of difference to what we're doing. So I, I get the business in and I can be real like, you know, black and white. And then when it comes to the outside, I, I really want to open up and, and talk about that. So um, yeah, it's just finding the balance, I guess. And also because, you know, our businesses aren't just, you know, I'm not just selling Tic Tacs, you know, yeah. you're selling something that has a cultural, um, mm. a cultural coat on it, like a cultural yeah. lens. So man, I, I write, like I wrote this long post in the weekend. It took me like five hours and I deleted it. And even after I posted it, I went back and like, redid it and deleted this part and redid that one. Yeah. And, and I know I got to get it right. And I want to get it right too. Um, yeah. And yeah, I write that whole post and then I delete it and I'm like, chop it, buy it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I think that when you um, put culture over the top of it, there's so much pressure, especially as people who, from what I can, from what I can hear from you guys, you know, we haven't lived our culture, you know, we weren't born in it, we weren't yeah. raised in it, we weren't, you know, surrounded by it for our whole lives. So there's that kind of imposter syndrome of should I be even taking up this space? Yeah. Should is my opinion do people like do people even care what I'm gonna say anyway? So Absolutely. you know, is is what I'm saying appropriate? Uh, is, you know, yeah. and you can't even even when you're just talking about something like, oh yeah, I went down and did this, like you know, there's you know you can't you can't kind of please everybody. So there's that kind of, yeah, yeah okay, this person might have told, told me that it's fine to say it this way or to do it this way or, yes, they say this is culturally appropriate, but then somebody else might go, I can't believe you just did that. Take that down right now. And you're like, okay, sorry, <laughs> yeah. sorry, I'm just, you know, I'm trying. It actually happened. <laughs> did you see that post? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, so, so it's true. so much like pressure, not only from other people, but from ourselves going, yeah. like, is this going to be okay? Am I going to get mm. torn apart for this? You know, am yeah. I going to, are my ancestors looking down and being like, yes, this is good, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> when really everyone's like, yeah and you're telling me like oh, it's a big deal yeah it's all of that and above <laughs> i think also like i'm just like i'm in my 40s i didn't grow up with social media you know yeah, me too. Like, hey, like I didn't grow with social media. I didn't. I, I um having my life really public. Like I'm a performing yeah. artist as a, as a dancer. I didn't really have to speak. You know, I could yeah, just yeah. dance. And and my like similar to your art. You know, my dance told my story. And yeah. then they would hand me the mic, and I'd be like, uh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm, you know, just trying to find my voice as mm. a businesswoman too with the added complex complexities of culture and um trying to do the right thing and ethics and all that stuff hey yeah. and then also just like identity on top of it <laughs> yeah just, just the hardest things to start like babies. <laughs> Should have just done Tic Tacs. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. 
So I'm going to share with you all a little bit of an insight into an episode that hasn't been released yet. Um, But one of the things that I spoke about with these two activists, and they were both Pacifica women, um, they were talking about how, um, and it was kind of an undertone through all the other podcasts, but it wasn't really explicitly said uh, until that particular episode. And one of the things that we discussed was often how Pacifica women can, and you've just been speaking about this, how um, often you can undervalue yourself and that there are all these things, you know, you're, you're conscious of what your community is thinking, whether you're representing them appropriately, whether you're representing your ancestors appropriately. Um, and it's this really, really big conversation that maybe we don't always have, um, maybe because it's hard and maybe because it's a little bit taboo to actually talk about it as well. Um, I'm trying to think of a question to get us to, I guess, open up about that. So maybe what I'll say is uh, for the emerging businesswoman or the emerging Pacifica woman who was wanting to make a name for herself, what is something you would tell her that maybe either you should have listened to or you wish somebody had told you? Um, My advice would be just do it because, I mean, white people are doing it. So why can't you? (laughs) Mediocre white people have got businesses, they've got jobs, they've got, you know, do it. Why not? Like, yeah, you might be average at it, but so there's heaps of other average people out there being successful as well. So Mm. why can't you be, you know, and it's about learning, I guess. So you might be average at the start, but you're not going to be in five years, 10 years time if you put in the work and, um, you know, learn along the way and, if you've got a passion for it, then just do it. Yeah. What's the worst that could happen? You could fail and try something else. I don't know. <laughs> Get up and do it again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I have to agree with you. Um, <laughs> I had a couple of notes on this and then you said that and I was like, yeah, that's actually just it. <laughs> like, there's nothing more to say on that. <laughs> you know, even if you fail, you're just like every failure is a learning and you'll exactly. just, even if you don't do the same thing again, you, you can come back stronger, mm-hmm. something else, or you'll go into another job and you've got all these learnings from a business that you never yeah. knew. I, for me, I think I also wish I learned sooner when to let go of things, let go of control of stuff. Um, you know, there's stuff that I'm good at in my business. Um, and you wear so many different hats. Like, you know, one moment you're the marketer, next moment you're the manufacturer, next moment you're doing PR, um, social media, you're like you're doing everything, um, which I think is good to start with. I think you should do everything so you can learn the different ways of doing things. And when you bring people into your team, you know what you're talking about, you know vaguely what you want. Um, but I wish I had learned earlier that uh, – like outsourcing, outsourcing's okay. <laughs> you know, you're not a good photographer, Fipe. <laughs> Go get someone else. <laughs> you know, <laughs> where was that voice in my head earlier on? <laughs> when I look back on my social media and I'm like, ah, oh, I should have just engaged someone to take some, you know, kick-ass photos mm. and, and make us look like a premium brand. 
which we've engaged someone now. Um, you know, I wish I connected with someone earlier just to give them my bookkeeping to do or you know the bez the gsts and things like that instead of holding on to it really tightly <laughs> and and even just you know and i'm still learning that um i'm just out of iso i had covid for a couple of weeks um and to spend you know a week and a bit in isolation and not in the manufacturing space and not on the ground working like my anxiety was going through the roof, but my team was fine. So, and where they weren't fine, that was just stuff we learned from that we could do better, but I wasn't being gentle in the space because my self-worth was caught up too much in my day-to-day stuff. So I think as a business owner, I wish I knew earlier when to outsource, pull away from the business, work on the stuff that I actually really enjoy doing because that's why you get into business, right? So you can do the stuff you love more and give the stuff you don't to other people. Work on my business instead of in my business. Does that make sense? Like the more I pulled away and brought in other people and my team, the more I could actually work on growing the business instead of getting my self-worth so caught up into, I need to pour a hundred chocolates today. Like, no, you don't. You hired yeah. someone for that. Like, and you don't have to stand there and watch them, you freak. <laughs> go, go back to the computer and grow your business. Um, yeah. And I guess just like simple things in time management, you know, I wish I had known um, right from the start, it, you know, do a course, a good course in time management. So, it's really easy to waste time on something and to get so fixated on something, thinking that you're growing your business when you're not, you're just wasting time. You could have done, you could have got someone else to do that in, in an hour and you've just spent four days. something? Are you watching me or? <laughs> are, you, are you watching the way I work? <laughs> oh my gosh. No, that's so true though. <laughs> um yeah I would say the same definitely just do it like no one you know what I mean no one can no one knows what's in your heart no one knows um the drive that you have so if if there's a bit of fear you know that's good that means you're you're heading in the right direction I'd say just go for it you know Um, if that's what you're passionate about even if it's you think you could do better do it hey just yeah. just go for it go for it and also i think don't be afraid to start at the bottom don't be afraid yeah. to suck at something like you're not going to be the best of the best you know straight up you know you're gonna you're probably gonna suck at it like yeah. your instagram posts are not gonna have a real good aesthetic you know you're gonna spell the caption wrong you know like you're gonna suck at it for the start and yeah. you just have to be willing to learn from your mistakes and yeah you know do work work on yourself and your business as well you know if there's professional development that you can go and do if there's courses that you can do there's classes there's people you can talk to then Mm. take advantage of your community and take advantage of other people who are in your industry and you know use use them as you know sounding boards of ideas you have or whatever because they're the people who've been doing it for longer and they're the people with the, the knowledge that is going to help you in the end. You're going to suck, but if you keep at it, you'll be all right. Mm. 
to you ladies. I felt like I was so busy trying to start my business that I couldn't even put my head up, up to see what anyone else was doing. And then yeah. when I finally did, like there were all these courses on how to do a business that were being given for free by the council. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> so you want to do that? Way, eh? <laughs> I just made my own templates and everything. I was like, so you're giving me these stuff now? <laughs> Like, so there's so much resources out there, eh? Like yeah. I didn't yeah, realize yeah. existed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> took struggle. Do your research. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we explored a little bit about, I guess, some of the barriers or challenges that you've come across, um, and some of the advice you would have given to yourselves. What are some ways that you have? overcome a particular challenge maybe you could think of a particular story that you'd like to share where you've had a challenge um, during your business and the way that you overcame that i think for me one of the challenges uh, we don't have time for all of them but um i think one of the hardest challenges for me is always pricing like yeah like just getting you spent, as you, as we spoke about before, no one sees the amount of energy and time that has gone into making this product, you know, yeah. this, this offering um, from the biggest thing, um, you know, from, from things like, you know, the ingredients that you're choosing to put into it, to the packaging, to the, um, you know, relationships with farm, to everything that goes into this one product. And you know, if you were to put the true value of it on, no one would buy it because it would be so expensive. You know, it would be crazy. So it's like, well, how do you make sure that you're still competitive in the market? That you, um, that retailers will still take, you know, our products on because they they're not, you know, twice the price of the other chocolate bar that's sitting there, um, bean to bar. Mm. Um, but also like, you know, there was a huge time within my business where I was like, no one's going to buy my chocolate. I can't even afford my chocolate. (laughs) If I can't afford it, why is Joe Bloggs going to buy my chocolate? Um, and thinking everyone, everyone had no money like me, but I was the business owner. That's why I had no money because all my money was going back into my business. Um, yeah. And if I just stuck true to my values and to the stories and to the, you know, I guess our marketing strategy, um, the, the people who believed in it, well, the community came. Yeah. Um, as, and, you know, not getting, getting the struggle with pricing has always been hard, um, but also the, um, the struggle with, getting so tied up in the day-to-day um, to-do list, um, you know, instead of, uh, you know, we're the head of our businesses. <laughs> Sometimes when people like, you know, I'm like, I'm the CEO, <laughs> but, you know, I wasn't the only person here, but, you know, uh, you know, as a CEO or like the head person of your business trying to have that helicopter view of the strategy mm-hmm. and what you're doing instead of, Oh, I posted something and it not got many likes. And then this <laughs> negative feedback loop of like, oh, no one likes me, no one likes my chocolate, blah, 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 blah. You know, mm. instead of thinking that yeah. way, it needs to be, well, no, here's a strategy to this. They may not be liking it, but 
your store visible. Yeah, yeah, you're showing it. Keep your algorithms up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, <join> gang. <laughs> Keep feeding into that beast. Um, yeah. So yeah, mm. challenges is I guess the you know the balancing side of it all, the pricing and the marketing. Mm. Yeah, I think that's another issue for me as well, especially when I first um, opened up my family daycare business. Was how much do I charge people? You know, because not only do you have to provide yourself a living, like you also have to be competitive in the market and you also want to be available to people in low socioeconomic um, communities and things like that. You know, I don't want just rich white people to be able to afford the services that I'm providing. You know, you want people from multiple different communities to be able to access quality education. So there's that kind of toss up between you know, this is how much other people are charging. This is how much I think I'm worth. This is how much I need mm. to be able to live and survive and, uh, you know, that sort of thing. So um, also, I guess, having, unlike your guys' products, my my services are subsidised, I guess, by the government through childcare benefits and things like that. So, like, yeah, okay, $10, $10.50 an hour might, you know, might maybe seem like a lot if you've got four, you know, that's $40 an hour, but it's not, mm-hmm. that's not all coming into my pocket kind of thing. You know, you, mm-hmm. you've still got to pay all, all your expenses and all that sort of come out of that. And people kind of go, Oh, I'm paying like $15,000 a year just for my one kid, you know, like that adds up and all that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So, you know, you've kind of got to, um, I guess, make yourself competitive but also know your value and know your worth of of your product that you're kind of giving to people and yeah it might work for some people it might not work for others but you know you you find I think your community kind of finds you as well which which kind of works out nicely I have a question for the ladies (laughs) yeah (laughs) is one of your challenges you know that you have a business and sometimes your business is all-consuming at times. Um, does it become a challenge to, you know, uh, look after yourself through it all, like your mental mm. health, um, physical health and things like that? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 I think especially when I first started out, um, because obviously I hadn't made a name for myself. I Nobody knew who I was kind of thing. It was all just word of mouth at that stage. And, you know, I had the kids that I had were family members or friends of family members, that kind of thing. So I certainly didn't have, I wasn't full. I had lots of availabilities and all that sort of thing. So obviously mm-hmm. that means that the less kids you have, the less money you're making. So I just come from this really large income from working in mining and construction and then kind of like dipping down into, you know, not working essentially full time and still having all the same bills, still having a mortgage to pay on, you know, my single income and all that sort of thing. So I, I especially at the start, really remember like I've never sort of had issues with anxiety or anything like that, but I was like getting really anxious every day. Like every night I had to set this like really strict routine so that I'd actually sleep at night and all that sort of thing. So it was like I'd have to just to make sure that one, I wasn't 
spending my whole weekend, you know, programming and doing observations and doing all the kind of admin side of my of my business um, on weekends when I should be taking time for myself and, you know, trying to not think about the stressful five days a week kind of job that I'm trying to have. Um, so that was really, but like now I'm, I think I'm pretty good at compartmentalizing. Okay. This is work hours, even though it's my own business, you know, I need to go this work hours outside of work. I'm not doing that. You know, I don't reply to, um, you know, new inquiries and stuff like that on weekends. I'm like, it's not going to be the end of the world if I make them wait until Monday morning before I reply to their Facebook message or, you know, whatever, like this is my weekend. This is my time. You know, I don't need to reply to people at 11 o'clock at night, you know, that kind of thing. Like it's not going to be a big deal if you wait until 1am. So I think now I'm, now that I've kind of burnt myself out of that initial stages, I can kind of step back and put a few more boundaries on work, what's work and what's not. Yeah, I was the same. My anxiety was going through the roof. And then, you know, with your anxiety, cortisol is going through your body like crazy. And all of a sudden, your digestive system starts playing up. <laughs> you know, like it's just your head and, yeah. and gut connection is just like, go over there. Yeah. Someone said to me the other day, like, I've got all these, you know, our body scrubs and our self-care kind of packages and stuff. And I'm like, that was because it was what I needed. <laughs> I was making stuff to look after me. You were like, filling in your own gap that you were looking for. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I, I needed it physically. That's why I started making it. And just a reminder for me to, you know, take that time, hey. Mm. It's hard to com- compartmentalize, but. Yeah. It's definitely a practice. Have you found that it's getting easier as your businesses are growing to be able to do that or is it getting harder to make time for yourselves? <laughs> Both. <laughs> it was easier and then we got out of COVID and you know, everything changed again. So our, our business started to thrive through COVID because everyone was home buying online. Mm. Um, and now, you know, we're out. So there's a drop in huge drop in sales. Um, so now our weekends are taken up by promoting our business and doing markets. So now not only do we work during the week, we work in the weekends too. So, um, you know, it's another juggle or, you know, jigsaw puzzle of, okay, you know, I need to take a half day here and there during the week to try and and not feel guilty about it. I think that's the hardest part. Mm. It's not feeling guilty yeah. Yeah. about being away from it. I think I find it easier just because at the beginning of my business, I was so kind of self-conscious and like I wanted to please everybody and I wanted to, you know, do everything exactly what I thought was right. So I, you know, you go above and beyond kind of thing, whereas now I'm like, it's not the end of the world. Nothing, you know, nothing's going to fall apart if you don't do that. So I'm a bit more confident in my business. And I guess also now that I'm, <clears throat> I've got a lot more um, awareness within, you know, 
family daycare and all that sort of stuff that I'm not often kind of looking for. I don't have to advertise and I don't, you know, like people come to me rather than me having to go out and look for it. So I'm kind of like, you know, who I like I'm not kind of concerned if I have a spot here or there because I'm like, ah, it'll be fine and sooner or later someone else will come along and it'll fit into place rather than, you know, just taking the first person that kind of comes along and might not necessarily fit in with because you, you, we do, we may, we've got like a little family going on, you know, and and throwing someone in that might not necessarily uh, fit in with the rest of us, you know, throws a bit of a spanner in the works, and it's good to be able to have a bit of freedom to take time and find the right kind of family to join in our little community. Uh, my next question is. Uh what it's a bit of a long question so what advice maybe recommendations or questions of reflection do you have for those who determine what is profitable um, so for example in a recent feature article that I did we were exploring arts institutions um, and whether these institutions are making space for pacific works and one of the ladies in that feature article, she put forward the question, uh, how many First Nations people exist on your board? That was the question that she wanted people in the institution to ask themselves. So do you have a, a thought-provoking question, a story, um, a recommendation, or a piece of advice uh, for the person that determines what is profitable? I guess my question would be for rather than somebody at the top of an institution, but maybe like educators themselves, people who are actually working in childcare, I think that it's become really trendy to, you know, incorporate culture and things like, you know, especially Indigenous culture um, into activities and things like that. And I think it's become kind of easy to be tokenistic about it. So, you know, we're doing dot paintings and um, Aboriginal flag, um, you know, I don't know, rocks, black and red and yellow and things, you know, that sort of stuff, which is great. But I guess my question is what value are the children actually getting it? What, what learning are they actually getting from it that they couldn't be getting if the rocks were just rock colour, you know, if we weren't, you know, what what knowledge are you passing on to them that's actually truthful to experience and, um, you know, what's going to help them to be a more kind and compassionate person to Indigenous cultures and First Nations people that's not just kind of, oh, yeah, we, we got painted a boomerang or, you know, so are you engaging with First Nations people? Are you, you know, actually getting resources from somewhere or have you got something that a white person's put up on Pinterest and, you know, you're just kind of repurposing that same activity over and over again rather than actually engaging and paying for um, knowledge from First Nations people? I guess a question that I've asked um people that want to collaborate with us or um different i guess retailers that are purchasing uh 
our products or other people's products or other chocolates is um, like, you know, do they really understand the food systems they're supporting? You know, um, you know what is the whakapapa of your food? You know, what's the ngafa, the genealogy of your food? Um, and the reason why I think that question is important is, oh, here's a story for you. I'm like, we have our, our food, I'm like, yeah, get this one. <laughs> Sorry. Is, um, our food council guy, health and safety guy, uh, he came over a couple of weeks ago and he was saying to me that Coles had to remove, like had to do a recall, so remove um, products from their stall and it was all the, you know, those bags of leaves that we get, you know, bags of lettuce, um, spinach and things like that. And they had to do a massive recall of, that, of stuff that had been sold over the last couple of weeks. And that was because um, people were getting salmonella from it. And I was like, salmonella? And I'm like, why, there was salmonella on the leaves? And he's like, nah, there was salmonella growing into the leaves. And so what these companies had done, these farms had done, is they had taken a manure, a chicken manure that had salmonella in it, like a um, toxic chicken manure, and spread that over the land. And therefore, the salmonella was growing into our food. So, you know, you're eating a lettuce thinking, <laughs> thinking you're, you know, being this healthy, but everyone in Melbourne was getting like seriously sick from it. So it's that thing of like, do we really know the whakapapa of our food? Like, do we really know where our food is coming from? And like, is it being respected? You know, our bodies are made of soil. Our bodies are made of food. What we're putting into our body, yeah, that's what's growing us. Um, are we really considering where this food is coming from? And not only the soils that it's coming from, but, you know, who is being affected on the way? And on the on the journey of that food, who is being ripped off? Who is being kept in poverty? Um, and, you know, when I ask that to other chocolate makers that I know are getting cacao from, you know, unethical spaces that aren't using sustainable practices, um, you know, most people don't know. They don't know where it's coming from. They're just there for the cheap transaction. So, yeah, what's the fucker bupper of your food? I guess mine kind of the um, higher up of my industry, I guess, is the government, really. They're the ones who set the guidelines that we all have to follow. So, um, and that also comes down to uh, the wider community because we vote for these people in power. You know, we vote for the people who are making the rules. So what are the values that we all as a community have and how we voting to you know help our ideal our ideals flowing through our children because you know especially early childhood I think is really important in the development of humans so the kind of education that we're getting from zero to five is essential um, in creating um, humans that are going to be uh, successful members of community. So, you know, are we voting for, I guess, people that value education and value different styles of education, value free education so that it's available to all people, not just rich people? Um, yeah, I guess that's 
kind of where I, my industry comes from. You know, it's all government, government supported and government guided. So, um, yeah. Um, for us, it's, um, we've got workshops coming up. So um, at the end of May, we are starting some community um, art workshops up at our church. And yeah, we're just going to be running that every uh, two, two days every month, or, you know, a couple of weeks every month. Um, uh, so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, we recently went to a um, a camp, so I got to do the art elective with um, thirteen to seventeen year olds, which I I really enjoyed today. I really thought that um, yeah, I I don't usually do it, so if someone was to ask, I'd be like, yep. But um, we've you know, that's what's next for us. We'll we'll just be working on that, um, just working with kids and little kids, like from five up within the community. Bye stuff. Like and share. <laughs> Follow. Subscribe. Comment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We're like, take I'm back. I'm humble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm pulling a blank right now. <laughs> I'm just, yeah. But yeah, no, they could. They just support by sharing, following, liking, you know, giving feedback. It's all, it's all part of growth um, for businesses. So, yeah. Any feedback's good. And I think also for, especially for you guys there, like um, I'm sure a lot of people who are listening work in corporate world. So if you have an event coming up and you're like, oh, you're making little like goodie bags or you're giving something, you know, mm. be like, hey, I know this really great Pacifica company that you can support mm. and, you know, buy these little chocolates and each person that comes to our conference can get a little chocolate, you know, mm. or if you're looking for artwork or something like that, like, you know, put it up in your reception area or something like that, you know, mm. there's ways that in corporate world you can um, support Pacifica Indigenous First Nations businesses that are pretty easy. Like you don't have to yeah. put a lot of time or effort into it. Just, you know, if you, if you know, if you, you know, it's all about networking, I guess. If, if you hear hear of a time when someone needs something, you're like, oh, I know this great little business or mm. whatever. I, you know, some one of my friends shared something, then you know, that's how word of mouth is how everybody kind of gets to know about people. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we had a great one just the other day too. A corporate. You're right. If you don't have the money to buy the chocolate, get your boss to buy it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely um, have the money. They definitely have yeah. the money. <laughs> um, yeah, and if they do purchase our stuff, like, we love it when people, you know, do little videos of them making their, you know, hot chocolate or using one of our bombs, our cocoa bombs and stuff. Like I love, I love seeing people engage with our products and enjoy it. 
Um, so that's a good way of of supporting. Um, but also, like, if they were, you know, if they have a health food store, the hardest thing for me, again, is selling um, and getting into retail shops, you know, uh, getting yourself into the mindset of selling and getting into reset shops. So a lot of the spaces we're in is because a community member has gone in and asked them two or three times, have you got living coco? Have you got living coco? You should get living coco. And then people message me, the business owner will be like, okay, I'm getting harassed. <laughs> so, you know, that's a way of supporting us too. Yeah, buy the product. That's how you can support. <laughs> choose, choose um, you know, instead of buying Capri, go and, you know, buy something that's actually yeah. supporting community and supporting their their farmers and their, you know, all the people along the conveyor belt. You've reached the end of this episode with Lauren, Fipe and Talisi. We hope that you've enjoyed listening to our conversation and maybe it has encouraged you to think more deeply about multiple ways you live your lives and the businesses you support. Some things you might have taken away could be questioning who you were voting for in your government, whether they share these same values and policies as you. You might be reconsidering what businesses and organisations you put your money into. Do these places hold the same values as you? Will you choose to support someone else that you know is conscious of the way their business is structured and the values at the forefront of their practice. Maybe this episode has also encouraged you to think bigger about the whakapapa of your food systems and whether you will choose to go to the local market and support smaller businesses or whether for the sake of ease you will go to a larger corporation. In this episode description, I've linked all profiles and businesses. So please, as they said, go give them a like, follow, share, and why not treat yourself and purchase something as well? Or if you know of someone who needs childcare or you need childcare yourself and you're in the area, why not send them a link to Lauren's Little Leads? Again, thank you all so much. And thank you to our beautiful podcast guests. And I'll see you in the next episode of Our Women, Our Stories.